This is Vino Week, Episode 2, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week for March 1st. I am Bill. Hello, everybody. This is Al. we got some great topics today. Lots going on in the world of wine. In the world of wine. I guess I should say uh, 2015, too. It's March 1st, 2015. Might help to have a date. Yeah, you know, you're a stickler for details, but that's how you are. <laughs> yes, I have been accused of that before. Um, so let's uh, start off with, uh, and I've forgotten this gentleman's name again, Dave. Dave. Uh, so Dave McIntyre, columnist for the Washington Post. Yep, wrote an article on terroir and um, did a little bit to explain what terroir was, um, but. I think the gist of his article was how um, uh, Bordeaux is getting even more uh, finer grain detail, if you will, about um, Bordeaux. But uh, so let's talk about Tuar and what it is. Well, um, my definition of Tuar is, uh, I guess, if I had a definition, is if you're growing something, it's uh, it's everything where you're growing it. It's the the wind, the earth, uh, the people, the animals, the all the things. Yeah, every, everything that contributes oh. to that that area and whatever grows in it is kind of, I guess you would call, or I would call, terroir. Right, of this place, right? Yeah, of, of a specific place. And I think earlier we were talking, I uh, I brought up the uh, the notion of, because we, we got off the wine topic and I was bringing up one of my favorite things, rashers from, from Ireland. And how uh, the bacon over there, or the rashers, have a, a very distinctive, uh, a very distinctive taste, which is, you know, for me, it's just, it's just like it's unforgettable, and uh, it's because the the animals, uh, it's the grain that they eat, um, it's the water they drink, and, and everything's different, and you can taste that in the product. So, an agricultural product uh, is is in a, in essence, it's part of the being of the land and you can taste it so to speak so i guess that's what terroir is yeah and so and we were talking you know in the world of wine um you know there are it, we use the words true to type all the time right so you know pinot noir from the russian river, river valley has a very unique um profile and unique char- characteristics to it that you can easily identify um you know and it is because of the, you know, of all of the things of, of the Russian River Valley. Um, and, of course, terroir uh, can also mean for a, a person in the wine business, it can, it, can, yeah, it can have an effect on how much money they can make. Grapes from, you know, certain regions um, will command a higher price based on the quality of the grape. I guess based on the terroir of where the grape is um, grown, and I think that's the gist of his article. And that the uh, the folks in Bordeaux are doing that to some degree, sort of um, going down to these micro, micro terroirs, and of course, yeah, um, being very uh, introducing new equipment that's allowing them to segregate their wine, if you will. Yeah, I mean everything from smaller. What do they have? They have smaller vessels for just for I guess not micro micro vinifying certain sections of a vineyard. I mean they have all kinds of stuff now. They've got right. uh, you it's know the thing. I, you know you're you're vinifying the wine and kind of keeping it 
all from one area, from one place. Yeah, the, the technology at these wineries is it's just it's amazing what they do these days. Right. And so, uh, you know, to kind of continue on the Tawar thread, there was uh, news of a new AVA this week, the Fountain Grove AVA here in Sonoma County, AVA being American Viticultural Area, um, which is not unlike, you know, it speaks to Tawar, right? It speaks to the area that these grapes are grown in. Yeah, and what, what, did you mention the name of it already? I've uh, Fountain Grove. Okay, great, great. I'm sleeping over here. That's right. We're uh, doing this a little later than we usually do. Um, we had some technical difficulties earlier, um, but we're back at it here. But the, um, you know, there's, uh, um, you know, AVAs. I, you know, I don't know how much in the greater American, um, uh, uh, well, with consumers, with a large number of American consumers, there's more consumption happening in America today than there ever has been. So these things like AVAs are becoming more important for winemakers um, and vintners to be able to sort of distinguish where the wine's from. Again, it can it all comes down to being able to command a higher price because you can kind of isolate where the wine's from and you can do different things that might you know help you um, you know command uh, more money for your bottles. Well, that's definitely one of the things that the vintners noticed, uh, noted, I believe, uh, I'm trying to think there was one of the guys that mentioned, he said, I definitely will be able to, uh, uh, charge more for my wine, uh, because it'll have this fountain grove, uh, designation. And, you know, it's basically, it's, it's a really prestigious name. Uh, the area itself is just real quickly. It's, it's surrounded by, I, I guess it's surrounded by Sonoma Valley and, and Bennett Valley to the south, and Knights Valley and Chalk Hill to the north. So Knights Valley is kind of uh, sandwiched. It's right between, say, Napa, Napa County and, um, and Alexander Valley. Knight Valley is, that, is right in between there. And Chalk Hill is kind of just a butts right next to it in the north. And then on the, on the western side, it runs smack up against the Russian River Valley. So it's it's, a, it's an area where a lot of grapes are grown, and there's a fair number of wineries in that area. Right, and some famous wineries, right? Oh, for sure. It's, uh, it's uh, well, shoot. Uh, well, you know of a few of them, right? I'm trying to think of – I know there's a lot of grape growers. It goes all the way up to that hill. It goes up to an elevation of like 2,000 feet, which would be like the border of uh, the Napa County line. So there's there, there are yeah, a lot of a- famous wineries. Yeah, there's a ton of like, um, and uh, the names are escaping me, but preeminent premier wineries that are in that area, you know, especially as you're getting close to Napa. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, you know, definitely interesting that we're starting to see, um, more and more sort of the, you know, the cutout of this AVA. There's a Sonoma Coast AVA, which I believe is just, is a huge amount of area. And, you know, I know there's active conversations going on to break that up into smaller chunks. I believe there's even proposals out there. And then we have the Gap. I know that the uh, uh, the Petaluma Gap is a, um, I guess, a, a, you know, a number of terrain features where the fog from the coast get funneled in every day. So it has yep. a, you know, it, it, it's like one of the places that there's always marine effect. And if you ever... You know, drive from here, uh, from here being sort of the Santa Rosa area, 
you know, sort of the middle of Sonoma County, down 101 south, down 101. In the mornings, you can, you know, you'll drive, you'll be in sun in in uh, Santa Rosa, and then you'll hit the gap and you'll be in fog, and then yep. emerge into sun again. So it it it's it's like this conveyor that comes in, and I know those winemakers are definitely trying to, you know, eke out an AVA. There's been an an active amount of uh, real estate transactions happening there because they're you know another good area to grow pinot um and of course you're getting this sort of um um you know the the marine layer effect so you know it can kind of cool the the grapes down at night yeah i think it's i I think it's really great that they're finally being recognized as a district and it's it's really going to help their profile and and it'll it'll help them sell their wine better so bully for them yeah, definitely. And another, uh, you know, again, sort of to, to highlight the sort of, you know, uh, the viticulture areas, which are emerging in America, but have been around for centuries in Europe. You know, you look at a country like Italy, we posted an, uh, a blog post from, and I don't remember who this week, about Italian wines and how diverse Italy is in terms of the um, the, the varietals that they have and the different types of um, wine that they grow. And as you've, as you've told me recently and experienced with your travels, things are very provincial there. Um, well, that's for sure. You know, you know, certain wines are, you know, certain regions are known for certain wines and there's only those wines that are there, you know, unlike here <clears throat> in the States, I mean, you can walk into a wine shop and get wine from everywhere in the world. And it's and it's even it's even more provincial than you think. If you go to one valley, like um, you could be in one valley, and or, or you could be in like three valleys connected to one another, and they could all be growing the same grape. But if you go into a restaurant, they'll only pour the wines and have the wines available from their particular valley. And uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's really it's really interesting to to, to see that happen. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess one upside of that, though, you know, looking at it, is that it's a, that's a really great way to learn. Yeah. You know, where you're just kind of like, oh, okay, I've been here, and, you know, these wines were from here. Interesting. Um, and, of course, you know, the French being the originators are sort of, you know, segregating their wine base by terroir. Yeah, and, and they've they've got a head start on all of us. I mean, it's a little bit harder here. We've been uh, messing around with grapes for maybe a little over a hundred years, right? Right. right. <laughs> I, I remember the the podcast from um, Etienne Hugel, who started out, you know, from the Hugel winemaking family. It's like, you know, we've been making wine before, since before America's been a country. Exactly. Exactly. So they've got. They've got a little bit a big head start, and uh, they really do know what grows best where. And whereas you know, you know, we talked about this before. You can buy a piece of land in uh, you know, Sonoma County, and you can plant whatever you think you can grow there. Whereas if, when you buy a piece of land in say uh, the Rhone Valley, well, I mean, you I suppose you could grow whatever you wanted to grow, but maybe not. But I mean, if you wanted to sell it. <laughs> you're gonna have to you're gonna have to grow what's prescribed for that area. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So, so you know, and it's it, it's interesting too. Another article that's sort of related to all this this week, the the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, which is a local paper here that we get, um, did a whole article about how um, grape growers are using technology to help to help that you know to help them to help them grow and. It's 
you know, mostly weather related, but, uh, uh, you know, weather in terms of being able to help forecast the weather because they have more data, but also um, weave in when to irrigate so that they can have better predictors, also have more accurate information on, you know, soil conditions as well as the moisture in the air. There are, the, the article also talked a lot about frost protection and how um, there, you know, this area is known for microclimates and what that means are or is is that you can be in a valley here and its weather can be radically different than, you know, literally half a mile away um, or, or less uh, based on the terrain. Yeah, we got we got the microclimate thing going on pretty good. So, right. um, depending on where your vineyard is, um, do we t- did we tell everyone uh, we're having an exceedingly early bud break, and that's when the little shoots first pop out. Yep, we haven't and, talked about uh, that yet. Yeah, we're we're uh, probably three weeks, you know, maybe in some cases four weeks ahead of time, and uh, the vines don't care. You know, they say it feels kind of warm out, so they just start pumping the sap, and then the next thing you know, they start growing. Um, but for the farmers, there's a lot of anxiety because uh, if you have a, a, a frost issue and those those tender shoots that come out are burned or killed by the frost, then you lose part of your crop, and in some <laughs> cases, you lose a significant portion of your crop. Yeah. Which, uh, that's, I mean, that's I'm chuckling because, you, know, th- you know, we don't, I, I don't know. You you drink wine and you think of it not not as a you know an agricultural business, but it. I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are farmers, and you know they're subject to the vestiges of the weather and everything else that might happen. Um, so you know everything they can do to kind of help. Now, back in the day, the answer for frost protection was spraying a lot of water. Um basically encasing the vine in ice, mm-hmm. it will, you know, it's it's like a, putting a jacket on it, for lack yep. of a better um, analogy. Smudge pots, basically trying to... Smudge pots, yeah. You know, heat up, heat the area up. But with this technology, what they're doing is, it, if you drive around here, you'll see these things that look like windmills. Yeah, but, you know, instead of being five-bladed, you know, they have, they have two blades on them. And what they're for is, we we're talking about these microclimates, they get these inversion layer where the temperature sort of where the vine is relative to, um, you know, you know, 10, 20 feet in the air or higher, 30 feet in the air, can be 20 degrees difference. So they'll use these propellers to circulate the air. And of course, you know, you don't, the vines won't freeze then. So, you, you know, you don't have your frost problem. And they can automate, and of course... There's automation with all of this, which means, you know, there's sensors um, and machines that kind of do all the work. So, you know, you don't have to deploy a vineyard crew to kind of go do all, you know, basically take care of your crop. Yeah, so if you have one of these weather machines, uh, the, the guy that's pictured, you got this uh, Steve Thomas, and he's he looks like he's in his vineyard at uh, uh, Cundy Family uh, uh, Wines. And he it looks, it looks like an elaborate literally uh like a weather station yeah yes yeah let's say it's got a it's got a uh uh wind measurement device there's a bunch of antennas hanging out of it 
Yeah, it looks like something out of like Lost in Space or something. Exactly. Kind of, you know, there. But he's, I guess he's getting all the information off of that, and the information is relayed to his phone. So are you saying to me that he could just go home and he could just sleep peacefully in his bed at night and, um, you know, he could just wait and if he gets a text message from the machine, then he could get up? Is that is that if what you're a, saying? If he's a smart man, yes, that's what he'll do. I don't know a <laughs> farmer in the world who's going to be sleeping through any of that. <laughs> if there's frost, they're going to be out checking yeah, they'll well, be out. Livelihood, you don't pay attention, man. You don't eat for a year. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it, it's not that bad, but I mean, it. You know, it could be. Like, well, you might, or you're you're eating. Uh, you're eating rather lightly. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> you're definitely not buying a, a new vehicle or any new equipment next yeah. year. Yeah, yep, yep. Lots of folks probably not happy. Oh wow! Well, um, we've got. Uh, We've got uh, anything else on this? We got what the? Did you talk about something? We were talking about the wine economist or something with that. You remember? Um, I don't remember that particular. Well, shall we move? Shall we move yeah, on? Let's to- talk. Let's talk about um, some of the illuminaries in the wine world that um, have happened. So, are you uh, talking about Dave Ramey? Dave, yep. The Ramey family has introduced a new label called Side. Sidebar. Sidebar. Um, and, and go ahead. Well, his first wine, you know, and we discussed this just recently. His first wine is going to be a Kerner. And, uh, you know, it's it's a crisp, aromatic white grape. And it's coming out of Lodi. And I think that's got to be a first. I've never seen a Kerner from Lodi. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty anxious to give that a try. So Usually, I, yeah, What's a Kerner? I mean... It sounds like some kind of implement or tool or something. I'm going to use a Kerner on that. Yeah, Kerner is, uh, well, like I said before, let's see, I've had Kerner before. And uh, actually, um, it's it was uh, it was bred in 1929 by August Herald. And it's a cross between Trollinger and Riesling. So uh, I'm not exactly sure why he would do that, but I'm sure there's a reason why. But but I, I do know that it, it makes a very very um, a bold flavored wine, uh, and it it seems to yield a wine of pretty good pretty good alcohol. So they're probably looking for something that ripens rather easily and ripens well. Uh-huh. And most of them that you see, or the ones that I've seen, have come from northern Italy. Interesting. Well, I you know it's. Uh... <clears throat> That's definitely, you know, the uh, ripening piece, you know, the Central Valley gets, you know, immense amounts of sun. Yeah. So, and tends to be drier than, you know, kind of where we're at. Um, So, you know, that kind of, you know, maybe makes sense, right? From a, you know, just sort of, you know, without knowing any, any real information. Um, You know, the other, and that, you know, that's also why the wines have been really good lately. The drought has impacted the quality of the wine, you know, from the term, from, from the standpoint that it can ripen really well. Um, yeah, we've had some, uh, as far as the weather goes, we've had some wacky weather, but it's uh, definitely benefiting, uh, grape growers. Yep. And, um, if it continues, though, the question is, will they be able to grow certain grapes in certain areas? I mean, if you're growing Pinot Noir in uh, certain areas of Sonoma County, I mean, you're right on the fringe as far as 
you know, with the heat cycles that we're having. And uh, you might have to find you might have to find some cooler places to grow. You might have to go north. Yeah. I mean, that's what KJ's doing. They're buying up a whole bunch of uh, land up in Oregon. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and there's there's places that have been identified already <clears throat> that are comparable to, like, say, Russian River Valley. I know the Trinity Alps area has been identified. You know, based of you know climate change models hold. That'll be like a preeminent um, Pinot area. All right. Well, we we sort of veered off from uh, uh, Dave's new uh, uh, yeah, side, that's true. That's but right. uh, so he he's going to be selling his wines for less money. He's he's going to be making some new different wines, and they're all going to be selling for right around twenty five thirty dollars a bottle. And Versus, targeted, you know, targeted millennials. Yeah, yeah, kind of fun wines. Yep. Um, and there's a. You know, I think the research is showing that millennial wine drinkers are more more open to try different things. So, um, you know, it's interesting. So, see if those those trends hold. So the other the other person in the news was Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll continue with the celebrity stuff. Um, Who is Gary Vaynerchuk? (laughs) Made his uh, um, made his name, I guess. Um, producing Wine Library TV. His dad owns a wine shop called the Wine Library. And he was at Napa Premier Auction. Yeah, Premier Napa Valley. Premier Napa Valley. And what is that, Al? What's Premier Napa Valley? Uh, It's a a chance for people that are in a trade to uh, get together and meet each other uh, one time a year in uh, Napa Valley and bid on, uh, they bid on barrels, the wine. Yeah. So uh, it's a charity. It's a charity. Not- it's a wine auction, but all under the auspices of supporting a number of charities. Exactly. It all, it all goes for a good cause. Right. And, uh, you know, what a lot of people do, uh, a lot of the trade, they're looking for, um, those unicorn wines. And what I mean by that is they're looking for a wine that nobody else has, they're looking for the new star, and uh, they're looking to profit from making those wines. Right. So and these aren't cheap. These are not. I believe the Vaynerchuk's bought wine to the tune of like two hundred and eighty or two hundred sixty dollars a bottle. Uh, actually, it was four hundred and forty nine dollars a bottle. <laughs> and, uh, they bought eight hundred and forty bottles uh, for three hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars. And uh, that's a that's a chunk that's of a, change. That's a chunk of change there. That's a that's a big day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and those so, and you know so Napa Valley can command those prices based on the brands that they built there. So Gary, what has Gary been doing for the past say six, seven, eight years, Bill? Can you tell me? I run into him in the business I'm in, um, all around. You know, using what he did with Wine Library TV to um well use social media as a marketing tool okay so you know really driven home the ability to connect with people regardless of where you're at so you know the internet can kind of help break down geography but you know really increase your reach and develop sort of a one-on-one relationship with people leveraging this you know, leveraging those social media technologies. He's written a couple of books too, so I would guess he's a speaker on all those types of things. But 
from the wine perspective, hasn't been very active. No, he hasn't been active at all. And uh, he was asked, um, I guess I read an article. Um, gosh, who wrote this article? Uh, it was in the Colorado, Colorado Wine Press. And he was asked if he was thinking about doing his show again. And that was his show where he had a, he had a, a video blog or a vlog, I guess you would call it where he, um, discussed wines and talked about them and gave them ratings and, you know, kind of, um, pushed the wines that they were selling there at their shop. And his response was, you know, you know, basically it's something that's running through my mind. I, you know, and he says he'd never be able to do it every day, but, uh, he says, we'll see. So maybe he's uh, getting back into the, the wine business again. Getting back in the game. So where are we headed to next? Um. So the uh, you know we talked a lot last week about development, winery development, and how it's impacting things. Kind of dovetailing on that, Guy Fieri has you know pulled the plans for his winery. Um, and what's Interesting about that is that is the exception rather than the rule in Sonoma County. There hasn't, I, I want to say the, the article has said there, there hasn't been a winery that did not meet, did not get approved for like 11 years or something. Some crazy thing like that. I'm Pretty sure. unusual for that to happen. Yep. Exceptionally rare. Well, I think what's most interesting about this is that it's not, it's not so much about the protesting and all that stuff. We like to talk about that. We like to highlight that. It makes news because there's a bunch of people. It, it goes more, it speaks more to the fact of the composition of the, of the, the county, the planning commission that's, um, deciding all of this and that the composition of that commission is shifted in terms of its, um, what it supports. So more, you know, more on the environmentalist side, more on the impact, um, and, you know, the county's more developed than it was 10 years ago, so some of that might make sense. More representative. Well, it speaks volumes that it was a unanimous decision that they rejected it. So, I mean, that's not, I mean, it, it was a one person that didn't uh, vote against him. Um, he's, it's interesting to note that he decided to not pursue it, which means that he could open up another proposal at some other time. I mean, he still owns the land, so it's not a dead issue, I don't believe. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Right. And sort of, and, and you know, there was another uh, winery that was approved in Napa. So there, the same conversations going on in Napa about, you know, do we have enough wineries? I think they have 500-some-plus wineries. And it's, you know, Napa Valley's small. It's, you know, relatively speaking, it only produces a fraction of the wine from California, but everybody thinks of... You know, if you ask the average person, they know of Nap. They know of Napa, and they can they connote Napa's California wine. But that's you know, you know, you look at it in terms of production volume, it's a fraction, tiny fraction. Now that's some great marketing, but you know, they also have some fantastic wine that comes right. from that region, also. So. Right. But there Maybe. was a, there was a winery approved that um, in Napa that um, was approved with a uh, a number of of uh, changes to the code there. So, you know, um, easements around the setbacks that they have and, a you know, a bunch of exceptions. So, and it was, and I, I can't remember, maybe you remember the winery or the winemaker. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Philippe Melka winery. 
So yeah. who's yeah. evidently a, a a pretty substantial figure in the in the Napa wine business, or at least in in the wine business in general. As we uh, continue to populate the land, there's just going to be more and more pressure around this type of stuff. It'll be interesting to see how it all nets out. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not a real big winery, I mean, and they were they were saying they were going to have, I think, two events out of the whole year, you know. And I mean, it's like a it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's so, tiny. I, so uh, and it's not going to have a real big impact. I think it's over there off of, if I'm not mistaken, it's off of Silverado Trail. So there's not much over there anyway. So uh, yeah, it is. That's one of the setbacks that they mentioned. So this is wine podcast, but another article that caught our attention this week was the uh, press demo wrote an article about the impact of craft beer in Sonoma County. Now, how does this relate to wine? Well, if you talk to any person in the business, they will tell you that it it takes a lot of beer to make good wine. Indeed, these <laughs> these days these days craft beer not so much Budweiser anymore, but. Right. Uh, well, in this county, right? I mean, it's there's what twenty six or twenty eight breweries in the county. There's a bunch in the pipeline, and so they were remarking on the size of the market in terms of of uh, revenue every year, which is what hundreds. It's hundreds? Uh, well for for our county, it was one hundred and seventy million. Right. So that's uh, the impact on craft beer, but the overall market size was what was how large? Oh, that's like a hundred billion. Yeah. Which is <laughs> we're talking again, like a tenth. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not small potatoes, right? Some tiny, tiny amount. What I think is going to be interesting is to see what happens with all these craft brewers. Who snatches up who? Because you know, at some point, they're all just going to get bought up by by the big breweries. And you know, there will be a few mainstays mainstays here and there, but you know, I mean, the temptation. To, to get to buy those labels and get those brands, it'll be just like the same thing that happened in the wine business. You had these smaller labels to get started and do a really good job, and then somebody comes along and makes them an offer they can't refuse. Right? Yeah, it will be. I, you know, I believe that Sierra Nevada took um, investment from Anheuser Busch a long time ago. Wow, I didn't know ago. that. Yeah, not not in a, a controlling way at all, but just in terms of. You know, you know, having an investment in the brewery, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's probably a pretty common occurrence. Well, so um, I guess a couple things that kind of caught me, um, and I noticed, and I kind of, I guess, wanted to talk about was we've got this uh, burgeoning craft brewing uh, thing going on here in Sonoma County. Uh, getting rid of the wastewater is becoming an issue. If you've ever been involved or made beer before, it does require a fair amount of water, and it produces waste. Back in the day, that stuff was thought to be benign. It was all organic matter, so you could dump it into a creek. It uh, it basically kills the creek because it sucks all the oxygen out of it. You know, I don't know if you were ever supposed to really dump it into the creek, but that kind of happened, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it happened. Um, so, um, did... These all of these places have to grapple with what they how they get rid of their waste, and um, I guess uh, Lagunitas, which is probably I, I think the the largest craft brewer in Sonoma County, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm sure they are. They've got to be. Yeah. They ship all of their waste to East Bay Municipal uh, Utilities in West Oakland at the tune of a million dollars a year. Right. So, and it's just basic. You know, it's just basic business. That you know, they're, it's only a matter of time before they start 
treating their own waste. So they're building their own, you know, wastewater treatment facility. Yep. Yep, they got it. Or, they they got it. A, or like uh, Bear Republic did. Bear Republic did a deal with the city of Cloverdale. So Bear Republic's restaurant tasting rooms in Healdsburg, but they have a brewery in Cloverdale, which is to the north of Healdsburg, about twenty minutes. And they just built. They just expanded production, built a new brewery, or expanded their brewery there, and they signed some deal with the with the city of Cloverdale building their own wastewater treatment and enabling to still enabling them to connect to the city. So that's, uh, uh, no, that's just smart, right? I mean, there's more sort of, you know, it just makes sense. The business is making money. It needs to connect to the city. It's going to produce extra demands on the municipality. So they pay. Now, do you know if uh, the, the, the place in Cloverdale, do you know if their plant can actually process the organic weight waste and uh, can it, can it get the methane gas from it to use to power their the engines for their for their plant? Yeah, because I don't, I, know. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. That would be smart, though, right? Yeah, well, that's what they do at Sonoma County. I mean, they have uh, they can kind of uh, they capture the gas. All right. Well, uh, do we still have time to where we can pick up uh, the winemaker's nightmare? Oh, absolutely. So we alluded to this in the last last week too. Crime from fraud people. Um, taking wine and taking old bottles and and filling them up with bogus, you know, obviously not what's supposed to be, not what the label says it is, so that kind of fraud. Theft, we mentioned, but like French Laundry lost a bunch of wine. And then we have just vandalism, which is what this sounds like. Yeah, the French Laundry, they lost a bunch of wine and then it miraculously got found and then all of a sudden it's back in the restaurant. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, anyway, this uh, Kellermeister Winery, uh, it's in uh, Lindock, which is, I believe, in uh, Barossa Valley. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's where it is. And where's the uh, Barossa Valley? Oh, it's in Australia. Don't you know? <laughs> I guess that's my Australian. That's all I can do there. That's all good. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> It'll come out so wrong. <laughs> Anyway, they had a guy break in, and uh, he uh, emptied 25,000 liters of wine from their tanks. And uh, obviously, they're not real happy about that. But uh, fortunately, I guess he didn't get a hold of their really good stuff, and he didn't um, empty any of the stuff from the latest vintage, which was 2015, which they just kind of finished finished up with. Um, and they're just buying uh, – they're saying, well, we don't know who the guy is, and, and we don't know um, – what his motive would be, but it certainly does sound like a disgruntled former employee to me. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just either that or somebody's doing a really good job setting somebody up. Yeah, the guy's fifty-seven years old, man. I mean, come on, he's got better things to do than go around. I mean, he he he's pretty pretty torqued to go do something like that. <laughs> something bad happened. <laughs> so I mean, it, I you know the Schadenfreude aside, I mean, really, it's like wow, that's pretty brutal and then aside from that you know that there's a bunch of crazy wacky stuff going on in the wine world we got these uh thieves over in um uh west sussex uh stealing uh god what did they stole they stole like uh, almost five thousand bottles of wine from the bolney winery I, um what, and like what do you how are you gonna get rid of that stuff i don't know man i i'm that's what i'm thinking i mean either that or somebody 
somebody paid you to do that. It's 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 really bizarre. So it's just, it's just weird. Like you know, I was saying we don't. I just don't. I remember us having. You know, the winery, I'm trying to think of some of the wineries when I was in the business. We never, ever locked the winery. We just, you know, you go in and, you know, you drive. Yeah. It's out in the country. I'm not locking my doors. And it's true. I've been been to some pretty high-end wineries in, you know, not, you know, I'll say during off hours and off hours being not being during commercial, like, tourism hours. Place is wide open. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like... It makes you wonder. Is anyone here? Like, oh, we all went out for dinner. We'll be back in a little bit. Yeah, so it does. Uh, it, I guess anyone that uh, somebody that has a security company wants to do winery security, they can make out like a bandit going around and spreading fear and selling systems. So, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the only other thing I got, Bill, is um, real quick, I wanted to talk about um, uh, Beyond De Santi family. Uh, deciding to just diss the whole 2014 vintage for Brunello di Montalcino. So, yeah, back to, you know, back to sort of the Tawar conversation. Brunello di Montalcino comes from one place in Italy, correct? That's correct. And this family, the originators of this wine. Yeah, they, they made it, they made it actually famous. Um, I believe, uh, the, the wine actually became famous when they served it to Queen Elizabeth in 1955. I gotcha. But they uh, commer- they commercialize this wine. Yeah, yeah, and they, and it sells for hundreds of dollars a bottle. And you know, and it's, so you know, you know, more to the point, I mean, this family has said this vintage we're not we're not going to stake our reputation, and we're willing to eat a sizable amount of cash to do it. Yeah, that's what they're doing. And it's it's uh, you know it was it was a it was a crummy vintage, 2014. I mean it basically rained from spring all the way to the end, and they might have a, a few things, a few blasts of sun here and there, but it rained. That's what and, I was about to say. It's been you know Napa Valley's been uh, sunny and dry, and Europe's been soggy and wet. Yeah, yeah. So they're not throwing the wine away. They made the wine. They vinified the wine. They're just going to declassify it, and they'll sell it as what they called Rosso di Montalcino, which is a wine that's um, they're going to make a lot less money for because it's like a second label type of thing. So it's just it, this is just red wine from this area. Yeah, it's not up to snuff. It's not our first first class stuff, and you know we're going to have to we're going to have to pass. But and what's interesting to note is is what will the other producers in the area do? Because, uh, you know, talk about taking it in the shorts. I mean, if you could sell something for hundreds of dollars a bottle and you're going to end up selling it for 30 or $40, uh, you know, do the math. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, Biondi is the gentleman's name, correct? That's the name of the family. Yes. Biondi Santi. Biondi is the Biondi Santi is the family, um, and I, evidently a polarizing figure. Uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is a polarizing figure. You know, you know I, you know, I think this kind of speaks a lot to craftsmanship. Well, his his quote is uh, Jacoby Biondi. He says, Jacobi. "It's a matter of seriousness, which is part of our history. When the vintage goes wrong, we do not make Brunello di Montalcino." Unquote. So he's a, he's a serious man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no doubt about it. Crazy stuff. 
So that's uh, I think that's a wrap as far as what's going on in the wine world, at least for this week. Uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more next week. Sounds good. Certainly appears to be. All right. Fantastic. Well, um, thanks, everyone, for listening, and um, hope you tune in next time. Cheers. Until then, cheers. Cheers.